Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Nuts in a Pod. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Emery. And as usual, we have a special guest today, a special guest that's making me super nervous because he had like a five-year running podcast and it was super awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Yes, it was. So anyway, uh, Emery, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, because Lizzie So that is, I don't fall apart. <laughs> Lizzie is a little too nervous right now. Our guest Fan is... Fangirling. <laughs> <laughs> She's just sweating over there. Uh, yeah, our guest is Dylan Holland, Hi. who I have known Dylan for... I don't know how long you've known him, Lizzie, but I've known him longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a competition, I think gosh. like 10 years. I think like yeah. since I've been in Louisville. Dylan's a man about town. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a former teacher as well, and I think I've known him since college days because you went to Transy, right yeah yeah so you went to transylvania and i went to university of louisville so we met there i've uh, been a good buddy since and yeah he was a host of horrible podcast for like five years and they did a running a weekly horror movie podcast good lord horror movie podcast show why don't you leave it to the pros here yeah. <laughs> Dylan, uh, what did you do <laughs> uh, i've done a lot of things uh, not of all of them i'm proud of including the horrible podcast uh but <laughs> It's uh, it's still kind of in flux where uh, me and the co-host still will put stuff out every now and then. Um, but given COVID, of course, we had to take a little bit of a step back. Uh, but uh, yeah, reviewed a bunch of horror movies, uh, talked about uh, a lot of stuff that it's probably not radio appropriate. Um, and honestly, my mother is just proud of me for doing a podcast. If she ever listened to it, I think she'd lose a lot of that pride. But, uh, <laughs> still. Yeah, and that, actually, I was telling Dylan before this, uh, so I used to live in Memphis, and that was one way to stay connected to home, was to listen to that podcast, uh, and I was proud of you. Oh, thanks. Uh, but it, it just made me connected to home, and that was really, it was a lot of fun, so I enjoyed that a lot. So that was just a, a nice way to stay connected to Louisville, because I didn't have as many friends in Memphis, and I wasn't as connected, I was six hours away, but that was always a really... Memphis is lost. You got a lot of friends here, buddy. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Well, there's an episode I listened to that just really impressed me about you guys. So it's what there's four of you who record it. Who yeah, recorded it. Currently three. Uh, one took a step away. So yeah. Um, so I listened to an episode where you were talking about the movie Ginger Snaps. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Is it Ginger Snaps? Ginger Snaps. Or, yeah, yeah, the best feminist werewolf movie out there. Yeah. So I'm like, for the first time, that was the first episode I listened to from you guys. And you know, like when you know that it's going to be a podcast that's all guys, even though I know you guys are all like sensitive. <laughs> it's, a, it's a risk. Yeah. You know, there's there's a, an archetype, the podcast guy, and like fraught with peril when you engage with a podcast guy. And like the group think can get kind of. Uh, I don't know, toxic if there's like a lot of guys in a room. Just it's, it's a it's a you know penis measuring contest. You know it can be at least. Yeah, but then when I see that like you guys are all like straight face talking about periods, I was like. I love them. It just made me love you guys even more. It was like, this is so good. It's actually not just that episode. It's every episode. You talk, talk always about, talk about every, periods. Whether it, whether it was natural or not. <laughs> they have like 200 plus episodes. Every episode, periods. Weirdly comes up, yeah. <laughs> but you were like connecting to the, the females in the story. And yeah, just talking about periods like it was nothing. You know Didn't what? Even it's blank. not. It's nothing. I mean, actually, I don't want to say that. That comes out all wrong. It's not nothing. Ladies, you're going through a lot. You're brave. You're 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 better than any of us men. But uh, yeah. Oh, Dylan just thinks periods are nothing. Apparently. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> you're gonna get a bunch of weird hate mail now. <laughs> it's like used tampons. I'm, I mean, oh, used. Never mind. No. I <laughs> 
I'm like, well, those could be useful. Yeah. Cat, cat toys, maybe. <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about cats before we hit record today. Oh, and got Dylan... a few cat people oh, here. Yeah. yeah, we've got three cat people all in the room. Dylan yeah. is a cat dad yeah. as well. I am a cat dad. I, I was a cat dad of two briefly, and we just found a home for uh, a stray that we adopted that uh, didn't work out. But I'm glad that she's got a, a lovely home. But Emo's a, a new, uh, you know, cat. Part of the cat club, I guess we'd say. Cat club. Yeah. Lizzie's been at it for a while. Uh, I, know, I just I'm collecting them at this point. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, there are there are few kinds of collections that pay back dividends as much as collecting cats. Uh, we still just got one, but uh, she's great. We My house her. is just like just tornadoes of cat hair. Oh yeah, like it doesn't matter where I hang my jacket. It's just covered in cat hair every time I leave the house. Like, you can see it right now. You can probably see it from where you're sitting, the cat hair glowing on, on my jacket. And that's the thing, you know, for those outside of it, those not in the, the cat person know. They're like, oh, my gosh, this person is covered in cat hair. They smell like cat pee. And, you know, when you live in it, you're just like, yeah, this is life. I mean, what, yeah. what are you guys Small doing? Why don't you? Pay. Exactly. Covered in cat hair smells like cat pee. What a dream. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, I have to get to business. Yes. Okay, so we are Two Nuts in a Pod. You're listening to us on 106.5 Forward Radio. You can listen to us anytime on forwardradio.org. You can also find us on streaming services, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Play, SoundCloud. And you can find us on social media, Facebook at Two Nuts in a Pod with a two spelled out. And Instagram with Two Nuts in a Pod with a number two because they're cool and hip on Instagram. And then you can also email us anytime, day or night. Two nuts and a podcast at gmail.com and we'll answer in a timely fashion. And that's all for business. Can, can I just it? say, as, a, as an old pro, you absolutely killed that. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. You nailed it. You're getting really good at that. <laughs> um, so, first segment then, how are you for real? So, this is where we. we actually talk about how we're doing. So, usually it's like you ask someone how they are and they're just like, I'm fine. Okay, have a nice day. And it's just super fake, and you don't end up really learning anything about the person that you're talking to. And I get it. It's just like social nicety to say, how are you? But what really drives me nuts is when I say, how are you back? And they just walk away. Wow, it's cold. It's like in movies when people hang up without saying bye. I'm like, I didn't know people were this terrible. I do that. Monsters. uh, Okay, I'm a monster then. (laughs) Because people will be like, we'll say hi, and they'll say, how are you? And I'll be like, hey. And then I won't respond with how I'm actually doing. The real fix is just to end every conversation with, okay, I love you. And then (laughs) and they feel good about it, but they're also a little confused. Perfect. Hi, how are you? I love you. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we want to actually know how you're really doing. Okay, so role play. Mm. Uh, Have we done this bit too many times? (laughs) No, because some people are just tuning in for the first time. They don't know what it sounds like. This is the last time I'm going to do this bit with you. Okay. (laughs) She always rolls her eyes and I'm like, let's role play. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) See? Okay. You you added something different that time. (laughs) See, you liked it this time. So I just stand there awkwardly and, and walk away. Yeah. End yeah. of end of interaction. Or just regardless of the actual time of day, just say, okay, good night, bye. <laughs> good night. <laughs> See what works for you. Yeah, Try it out. let's play around with it. I like it. both of those a lot, yeah. Well, cool. All right, so who am I going to ask first? Dylan? Sure. How are um, you for real? Honestly, it's been so long since anybody asked me for real that at a certain point I start just kind of internalizing the the stock answer that I've been giving and feel like that's the reality. 
which is just like 2020, man. Like that's been my response for a lot. Like, I don't know, good all things considered. And I think that's true still to some extent. Like I still feel good all things considered. And although this still given everything that's happened in the few days we've had of 2021 feels like 2020, um, I, I am in a, in a blessed position for sure. I still feel good about that, but you know what? Stuff is kind of bad and broken and it weighs you down every now and then. And I feel at least personally, I'm doing okay. Keeping that, that nose above water, like, and I'm okay with that as it is right now. That's the best you can do right now. Just tread water. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting good at it. Like, and okay, I can live with that. Yeah. Yeah, it became very much like a 2020, like, shrug emoji. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> like, did you really need to ask? I mean. Like, we're all terrible. <laughs> I, I guess that's that's one good thing about it is, that, like, I guess it's gotten rid of the stigma of, like, nah, not so great, honestly. Like, I don't feel as bad now telling people, like, it's a hard day, man. Or, like, stuff's not great at the moment. Like, because everybody is kind of in that boat agnostic of whether they're dealing with you know, mental health issues now that everybody's just like, oh yeah, same. That's felt kind of liberating in a way. Actually, that's a, that's a very good point because I think of before 2020, uh, yeah, people, you know, you want, everyone's supposed to be happy all the time. Your answer is great. Yeah. You're, you're, you're you're great all the time, which is not true at all. So actually we're more, we're more honest with how we're doing. So that's a really good point. But at a certain point, maybe we get lost in the noise though. Yeah. I like everybody's having a tough time. So am, is my tough time any worth talking about? I don't know. Yeah. Well, in general, like we've just seen more emphasis on mental health mm-hmm. and more attention paid to it in 2020. So that's my kind of like silver lining yeah. for 2020 is that I like that people are actually paying attention to mental health. And I hate that it's because people are dealing with it in record numbers um, and that people who've never even dealt with it before are suddenly having to deal with it. Mm-hmm. That really sucks. At first, there was there was a little bit of, uh, I don't know, schadenfreude that I was like, ha, you happy people feel just like me now. What yeah, does it feel club, like? Jerk. Yeah. Yes. Welcome to my world. Welcome. <laughs> Let me give you some coping skills. I think the one thing that has been nice about this kind of wi- widespread depression, the nice thing about the widespread depression has been that like it is taking some of the onus that I feel like I would have otherwise felt in a moment like this to be like, oh, you're feeling depressed? Let me help you through it to be that like, no, everybody's doing it. So everybody knows that the labor shared like they're not all coming to me saying, help me through this. I know that you have mental struggles. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's kind of forging out on their own. I don't know. I've, I felt less overwhelmed by it than I think I should have given the circumstances. Yeah. Well, and there's like I think there's a lot of memes, too, that speak to like the dark side of the you know, I'm doing okay thing of just like people drinking during Zoom meetings in their underwear eating Cheetos. Yeah. I'm like, that is my actual life. Yeah. That is what's happened. Like, I've never had memes that like resonate with me so much. I'm like, everyone else is as big of a dirtbag as I am. This was me pre pandemic. Yeah. yeah this exactly. is how I've been living my life. I did a presentation for a nonprofit about mental health in, in the classroom, and they, uh, I was just looking for looking for memes basically. And one of them was just, it was the, I hope this email finds you well. And the other person on the other side of the screen, the screen is just a Furby on fire. <laughs> it's like, yes, this is perfect. Oh but God. yeah, even you were talking about like 
people having conversations more about mental health and being more open about it, I thought of like Governor Andy Bashir here in Kentucky, like within the first few weeks of the COVID restrictions, they put out like a mental health notice. And it was just, I was like, wow, like I had never seen anything like that before, but just being you know, honest and open and realizing like this is a struggle for so many people mm-hmm. and we need to be talking about it honestly was great for me. You know, it wasn't just the as the as you said before, like, oh, welcome to my world. <laughs> now you all understand how I feel. <laughs> welcome Every to the Thunderdome, day. sucker. Yeah. <laughs> but like it was just really refreshing to see that. That was great. I, I think yeah. too, like a big a big part of, of my particular brand of mental illness has been wrestling with introversion and my desire to go inward. And I like that this has forced people to do some of that. I know that not everybody is dealing with it as well as, you know, a creature born in isolation like myself has, (laughs) but I like that people have been kind of forced to take a step back, to step out of the outside and kind of contend with themselves for a little bit. And I know that that's can be damaging for a lot of people. I know that not everybody reacts to it. Well, but for a lot of extroverts out there who I think typically dominate the business world or the conversation, for them to have to kind of pull back into their own little structures and and deal with it has been nice for normalizing just being alone. And I don't know, I, I feel less guilty for not spending my time doing something, quote unquote, productive. Yeah, being alone is like noble now instead right. of getting like treated like you know you're asocial or uh, getting you know, patted on the back for the thing i was already like, doing wow like, thank you're you. so yes. brave <laughs> yes <laughs> i am very brave watching netflix all day is brave thank you for <laughs> thank you for recognizing it <laughs> it's about time so emory no no how are you for real i am doing pretty well given the fact everything going on yeah we we kind of mentioned a little bit with uh the recent events this mm-hmm. past week uh, where um, some folks, uh, domestic terrorists, stormed the Capitol. Uh, that was something that, you know, we talked about like with social media use, and we talk about that often on the show, where, you know, I was just kind of doom scrolling for like three hours. Yeah. It's like, I'm not doing anything productive right now. I'm just looking at like this nightmare unfold. So given all that, like that's a lot to deal with, but overall doing pretty well. Um, I did have some, I did have a yeah, I had one thing in particular that was really difficult this morning to deal with. I found out that um, a family member of a friend had passed away. And it just, you know, it's one of those things that it, this that life at times can be so cruel and so fleeting. And then just it, it reinforces the idea that, you know, to say I love you to your family and friends and to be stay connected with them, even though it's so difficult now. Because some of our family and friends we're just not seeing at all. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, elderly friends or, or family members you're just not seeing. Because obviously the everything with COVID, but it just, um, yeah, it kind of reinforced that idea, but it's also just, you know, I, I really struggle with the idea of parents bearing their children. I really struggled the idea of any of my friends or people that I love, you know, going through heartbreak or a loss. It just is really, you know, it hits me really hard. So that was something I really struggled with this morning. And today I was like, you know, Sunday's always like a really productive day for me. And I just found myself just not really wanting to do anything. I took a long nap before coming in here and it just because because like I needed to heal and like I needed mm-hmm. to take a break because it's and it's also like you know why what's the point of being so productive and putting that pressure on yourself so you know kind of reflecting on that and that's been a consistent thing for me and a, a struggle for me is because I am a very like you know not necessarily high achievement high functioning very productive individual that's always going 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 doing 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 and just sometimes it's like hey man just like take a break like just like eat a snack sit on the couch 
hang out with Floyd, your cat, and just, you know, take it all in because like this is, it's, you don't need to constantly be moving. Cause sometimes I realized I was just constantly moving to avoid yeah. feeling those things. And, um, so yeah, today in that regard has been a little difficult, but overall, you know, overall doing pretty well considering as well as the national circumstances. But, um, but yeah, so I guess, you know, big emoji shrugged, <laughs> like, how are you feeling for real? Yeah. 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 Man, well, I'm sorry about your friend's family, or your friend's, uh, is it your friend's brother? Yeah, friend's brother, yeah. So yeah. just, you know, just, yeah, and we've we've dealt with this before on the show where a friend lost a family member or our, our, our friend as well, and it just is, you know, that just, it's so difficult, and you, you sometimes don't know what to say or what to do, but it just, you know, it makes you think of your own family members, yeah. your own friends, and just, you want you just that's the thing with life is like it eventually comes to an end and sometimes it's very cruel without ends it might end way too soon and it just makes you want to hold on to those really good moments so much more and yeah i think of like when i was suicidal this summer and i think of like how my parents would have responded to finding out that their son had died and that's really crushing for me and it but it reminds me like hey hold on to these moments with your family and friends uh tell these people that you care about that you love them um and just, you know, try to be there as much as you can, even given the circumstances of what things are now, try to touch base with them as much as you can and remind them like, you know, I did this a few, a few days ago, where I just sent a text to my group chat and the family just saying like, I'm just so grateful for all of you. And this is not like a, I'm not really that type of guy. I'm not like a, a sappy type, but you know, usually in our family group chat, we're just like saying inappropriate jokes and weird <laughs> stuff to each other. But, um, <clears throat> You know, just saying, like, I'm really grateful for my little community. And I think it was after, like, the on Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, when this, the, the nation's capital incident happened, where I was like, you know, I realized that we are good people and we're raising good children. Like, we're doing good in our little community here. And I, I'm really thankful and grateful for that. So I told them that. And it just, you know, because I don't know how much longer I have with them. And being very, you know, real there. Uh, so that's a, it's a struggle there. But... Yeah, I guess overall, whatever. You talked about how you're worried about productivity, but it sounds like that was a different form of productivity for you. That grief still turned out something good, whether it was an actual end product or a sellable something. Like you came out better for it. And that's where I struggle too with that kind of grief or that, I don't know if it's guilt for not seeing people so much during this time is that like, at least if I'm thinking about them, I'm, I'm doing my part to kind of strengthen my bond internally. So it's still a form of productivity. I'm still accomplishing something, even if I can't be with them. Well, and like, I think it's important to kind of almost think about self-care as productivity. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That you are doing that refueling so that you can be productive. Um, But taking care of yourself is definitely an important part of it. Um, I tend to lean the other way where I'm just like self-care all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of in that boat. Um, And then I just kind of forget to be productive. But But you know what? That's okay. Society is is constantly fetishizing ambition and, you know, going out there and doing a big thing. It's like, well, sometimes that big thing is just like getting yourself ready to be able to do anything more than just teeny tiny. Like sometimes that takes a lot of work. Yeah. I think that's okay. It's like politically, I'm a socialist, and then just like personality-wise, I'm just really lazy. Yeah, I just exist. It's like if you could find two words for what I am, I'm a lazy socialist. So I'm the one who's just like, I really don't want to put a lot of work into this thing, but I would like to get my allotment. I'm going to be standing there with my fist up in the air saying, yeah, rah-rah revolution, 
and then just gonna I'm gonna walk away and say okay, good night. No, I'm gonna go home, <laughs> holding my fist yeah. up with the other hand, exactly, <laughs> on the, laying on the couch with your fist up in the air. <laughs> Some people call that slacktivism. That's just me. I don't know. It's, that's my life. So Lizzie, how are you for real? I am doing okay. I am on day eight. I've got my patch here. Day eight of quitting smoking. Hell yeah, get it, girl. Um, and I have had some uh, bad moments. I had one where I dug a cigarette out of an ashtray, tried to smoke that. It was gross. Not only because it was a cigarette that I pulled out of an ashtray. It was my ashtray. Don't worry. I wasn't. It wasn't on the street yeah, corner no or something. Um, although I was desperate enough, I probably could have done that from like a public ashtray. But um, with the patch on, it just made me dizzy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Oh, ew, this isn't fun. Just put it out." And then the other weak moment was I found a cigar that my husband was given as like a. Uh, groomsmen present for a wedding that was supposed to happen in 2020 now is happening this year uh but i found just an old cigar in a package and i was like should we should we do it it doesn't count it's a cigar it's not a cigarette it's a cigar <laughs> we just said no cigarettes right so it's like, Checkmate. he's like you're gonna regret that it's gonna be gross because it's a cigar Cigars are always gross because yeah. it's a cigar and it's also old but it, yeah luckily like quitting together has helped a lot because we're basically just asking each other permission to do things that we want to do. And the other one's like, no, bad idea, bad idea. You have um, an accountability partner. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, like he went out last night and he was like, I might want a cigarette. And I was like, then have a cigarette. Just don't have 12 cigarettes. Yeah. Like if, cause if you make the thing too big in your head, yeah. then you almost like, put it on a pedestal and then it's even harder to to deal with being like, able to talk through that process too with somebody else is an absolute godsend for getting it done yeah also yeah if you fail because you take that one cigarette you're like well i failed so i guess i'll just give up on right. this right as opposed to being like yeah it's okay to like make a mistake slip up here it's, and there have a your weak diet moment. cheat day yeah. yeah yeah just have have your weak moment and then get back on track so i'm definitely not treating it like this 100 percent almost like a sobriety thing where it's like not even a drop of alcohol or, you know, I'm definitely a little more laid back about it. Cause I, I know that the biggest connections I'm breaking are like every time that I eat, I don't have some, I don't have a cigarette afterwards. Every time I get in the car, every time I finish an activity, I realize I was using it to like punctuate all of my activities throughout the day. And now that I don't have that, I just kind of like, I finish something and I'm like, what's, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me to transition between activities without having that. So I've even like just like I'll grab a piece of gum and just stand on the porch, just kind of like staring. <laughs> I one one that was helpful for me in breaking, you know, both cigarettes, alcohol. I've been in trouble with both of them before, like finding because I found like a lot of the reason that I even smoked was for like hand fidget stuff. Yeah. So finding something that you can do with your hands, like honestly, at work, like I have just a little like like thing of lotion in my drawer after like I get finished with a call or something, I'll pull it out. I'll just kind of like wipe my hands down a little bit there. It's not because my hands actually need it. It's just so that there's a, a rhythm to something yeah. that I need. And that that's been super helpful. They're already covered in like a yeah. layer of lotion. You're just like, well, more lotion. <laughs> like I can't pick anything up. You know, I go to the drawer and it's like, Weep, but no. well, I do. I have um, been knitting. Knitting oh, has nice. been very helpful, especially if I'm having like, I've just been having these random just meltdowns. 
I'll just start crying out of nowhere. And I know it's just like a nicotine withdrawal thing. Although like crying out of nowhere is totally normal for me. Like that's just part of depression. But (laughs) this is even less provoked than that. Like at least usually my normal crying out of nowhere, it usually isn't out of nowhere. It's usually something triggered me. Whereas this kind of crying is just like, just suddenly like zero to a hundred I'm crying. But I started knitting and I just like found that it calmed me down. But yeah, so I actually find I've been a little more productive. I'm starting to feel like there's more time in every day to get stuff done, which I'm like, I know in a few weeks from now, I'll look back to smoking and be like, how did I get anything done? Yeah. But when you're smoking, you feel like you're being super productive. You feel like you're, you're, you just are, the smoking is helping you be productive, but you don't realize how much time it takes out of every day. So I'm feeling like I have more time than I had before, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, cause usually I don't tend to be that productive in general. I tend to like fight like any sort of task. I'll have maybe a list of two or three tasks I need to do every day. And it's, it's just a battle yeah. for every single one, whether it's like dishes or it's the worst when I have to go somewhere. If I have to like run an errand, I just suddenly, my anxiety gets really bad. And it, it's, I think partially it's because we're in this like apocalyptic time where, you know, we're all going out into just like the world is like a cesspool more and an we're all wearing when you masks. Go out too. Like you have to steal yourself for it in a way. Yeah. So it's like, it feels like extra besides my normal, like social anxiety that it's just a little bit extra because of COVID. But I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm being a little bit more productive. It's you'll, you'll find that that time gets reclaimed. I, you know, had a, about a year and a half there where I was like probably a full blown functioning alcoholic. And when I managed to wean myself off of that, I found like, wow, 9am exists. Like this is a time that, yeah. that I can reclaim and I don't have to do anything with it. But the fact that I can wake up, not hating myself, not like worrying about the night before is kind of huge in, in getting that back. So it pays dividends eventually. It's just really tough, really tough, tough. It's rough. really tough. It's really tough. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, is cute. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with it. It's really hard to, to go like, I don't know, to, to kind of make your new baseline. But once you can do that, God, it's, it's so worth it. So how long have you, when did you like stop? So I, I, I lived overseas in Japan for about a year teaching, um, kind of fresh out of college. And uh, I was just in a very unhappy place there, I think, in throwing a lot of my routine off. And that's when I was like drinking constantly. I rationalized it as just staying warm in the winter. But I found, you know, when I came back and got back into the American swing of things that like it was still a problem. You know, I, I was still leaning on it as a crutch to to want me to get out and do things and um and, and kind of coming to terms with, you know, being okay, not doing things was a big part of that. Like you can be home and not drink. Like I'm okay with being with myself when I'm not drunk. And that was, that was pretty helpful. So it's been nice. God, what was that? 2011, 2012 is when I really started like kind of realigning and haven't looked back. Wow. That's cool. I've, I've been bad about drinking by myself in COVID. Times. Oh, I'll still do it. Yeah. I'm, but I'm trying to start to limit, my alcohol it's it's hardest when it's social situations Mm because that's kind of when i i just for some reason turn into this just like party girl i'm like whoa like let's do it but (laughs) if i'm home i'm i i can have a couple drinks and just that's that yeah 
So I'm I am gonna be slowly moving towards more sobriety in the next year because guess what i'm turning 35 in april and uh i would like to have a kid at some point and so we're probably gonna start trying like end of this year i don't know that's gonna be a lucky ass kid thank you i hope so they're gonna be seth and i joke that our kid is gonna be really depressed and really smart yeah (laughs) as all the best people are those are all my favorite people yeah for real (laughs) they're really sad smart we honestly need more of them (laughs) yeah well, you, you got one coming, so <laughs> I've also decided I want to do grad school, so it looks like I'm going to be pregnant in grad school. So you're doing this Possibly. to yourself, why? <laughs> it's like I'm at this place where um, in my career where things are kind of wrapping up in the work that I'm doing, and I don't really see the next place to go mm-hmm. after this. I'm sure I've been with Spalding for a long time, and I'm sure that they could you know, find a place for me and something else to do. But um, I just, I actually through this show and through a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons, I've been interested in doing counseling. And so I'm looking at doing the MSW, um, which would mean I could do like, be like a case manager for a couple years after graduating. And then I could actually get my LCSW and do counseling it'd be a really good fit that'd be awesome thank yeah. you but yeah by the time i'm 40 i'll just do a cute little career change and hopefully have a little baby by then so it's never too late i honestly yeah i, I feel like it, that's a, a level of bravery that is definitely manageable like yeah it's gonna be a, a rough year there where you got a kid and you got a grad program but yeah it's a doable sad smart baby yes yes <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> Um, and a potential yeah. test subject for any of your actual grad work that you're doing. Too. Hey, there you, there you go. go. <laughs> Pays for himself or herself. Exactly. All right. Well, we are about to that time. We got to take a break. Um, so everybody, BRB. All right, we are back from break, and uh, it's it's been an eventful one. Um, I found out some some background on emo that was very interesting. Um, that at one point you were afraid of using the toilet. Can you uh, go into a little detail on that? <laughs> I'm amazed this has not come up on the podcast yet. I thought it came I, up on ours, and it didn't come up on this one. I thought Open I had up. talked about it before, but yeah, I am. Um, there was yeah, just a couple movies, especially there's one called Ghoulies, which is like a 1980s like creature feature horror movie it's crap it's a really bad movie it's not a good movie but like on the poster of the movie there's a little ghouly creature popping out of a toilet and like i saw that as a kid and it was so traumatic for me i didn't tell anybody it was traumatic but i just saw it and i was like that is terrifying so i would never poop in the toilet i would poop right in front of the toilet you know how people put those little rugs in front of toilets? Like, I would poop on that little rug. Oh, my gosh. It feels so bad for your parents. In front of the toilet. So, like, anytime someone would come in the bathroom, they'd just be like, well, there's a, a, six year, a six-year-old's turd, like, just sitting right there. So, like, and I was like, you know, that was, like, from, like, three to six years old. Like, a long time. Wow. So, my parents would have to bribe me with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures because I loved the turtles. Who didn't? So every... And they still bribe you to this day, don't <laughs> they? they? Still bribe <laughs> so every weekend they'd be like, all right, hey, if you can go a full week, we're going to go to we're gonna go to Biggs and we're going to get you a, a turtle. 
And so I made sure to poop in the toilet. But, like, I was so scared of it. I would just, like, flush, like, little things down the toilet and everything just to see, like, what would happen to see if, like, a ghoulie would eat it. Because I was just afraid that a ghoulie was going to not eat my poop, but literally just eat all of me. Yeah, just, <laughs> it's it's vulnerable sitting on a toilet to eat, like... I, there have been other movies that deal with yeah. that where like a snake comes out of the toilet or something and yeah, yeah it's it's very disconcerting. So it's not like it was unrealistic. Like <laughs> my, my big question though is, Emo, in walking away from the, the toilet after you'd done your business, did you think that nobody else in the house would know who did it? <laughs> were you like, I'm getting away with this? <laughs> like, would your dad have had a moment where he was like, did I do that? Like, <laughs> I feel like I didn't feel guilty about it at all. I was just like, hey man, toilets are scary. Like, I'm not pooping in that thing. I'll poop near it. Everybody so, like, goes through this at some point am i right guys your parents went to a support group (laughs) other parents whose kids poop on the floor so they'd be like yeah he's just gonna poop for the toilet like that's i was like hey i'm close like whoever whoever comes in after me they can just put the poop in the toilet for me horseshoes hand grenades and pooping (laughs) just throw it in for me wow so that was my childhood yeah i feel closer to you now Thank you for opening up. Yeah, thank you. Because also, like, I'm glad you resolved that. The other, well, we didn't say he did. The other story was uh, that I would, you know, I would watch the dogs poop, and I was like, okay, like they poop outside, and like there's no ghoulies coming from that for them. And so, like, my dad came home one day, and he just like, I'm in just the middle of the front yard, just pooping like a dog. (laughs) (laughs) He was just like, what is wrong with my child? Because I was like, I guess this is an okay place to poop, and I'm like. You'd, you'd had it modeled for you, honestly. Like the dogs yeah. know what they're doing, and nobody's eating the dogs. So, like, go out there and poop, and then nobody's mad at you for pooping on the little rug in front of the toilet. Even though nobody was eating your family, and they were all using the toilet, the logic just didn't carry but over. But I was the smallest one, because mm-hmm. I'm the baby, and I was just like, well, oh, they're so gonna, the it's like the weakest buffalo you. in the herd. They're going to eat yeah. me. They're going to eat me the baby. I'm, I'm not as... I can't defend myself, really. <laughs> so they're going <laughs> to capture me and bring me down the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, that oh, checks man. out. That makes sense. That's a great childhood. <laughs> you, you turned out well, all right. I turned out okay. You know, I'm hosting a mental health radio show because I'm sad all the time. <laughs> That's unrelated, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah don't connect. <laughs> wow. All right, so switching gears, we want to hear from you, Dylan. Oh, yeah. On just kind of your mental health story and what brought you on the show. So, like... Well, what was... emo threatening that he wouldn't be my friend anymore is why I'm on the show. Yeah. Threatening yeah. with ghoulies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But, like, what made you feel comfortable enough to talk about your experiences? Um, it's over the course of a lot of wrestling with it. Um, I think I've been probably for longer than a lot of people that I know who struggle with similar mental illness, including those in my family who had it. Um, my particular brand is bipolar disorder, um, more depressive than manic, but still a little bit of both. Um, and it does run in my family, uh, my grandmother, my father. Um, and that was a really big part of me being able to contend with it the way that I have is that they recognize the signs at a very early age. Um, and I was able to get diagnosed, uh, as bipolar when I was 12, um, which is way earlier than a lot of people are able to. And I think Unfortunately, that's for a lot of people, too, because so often that gets written off as, oh, that's just middle school, right? That's just, you know, being that age. But being able to see those signs is is why I think there's something that we who struggle with bipolar disorder, I don't want to say, oh, because I think that's a really loaded word. But 
uh, are kind of blessed with the ability to see that in others. If you can help identify it, if you can help other people come to a realization about the diagnosis, personally, help me a ton. Um, so I try to, you know, not without being asked uh, to to offer that when I when I see it. But anyhow, um, I I got diagnosed uh, at twelve. I was on our regimen of medications for a while. Uh, for that, it went through quite a few uh, lithium, Depakote, Wellbutrin. I've lost track of some of the other ones that, you know, tried, but didn't work some weird, uh, like a uh, provigil, like a, an actual ADD medication or not ADD, but like, uh, they used to give it to, to fighter pilots, uh, so that they wouldn't fall asleep on long hauls, uh, all, all sorts of cocktails of things. Hmm. Um, and through a lot of counseling, uh, over a long time was able to kind of identify my demon in particular, um, and wrestle with it enough to the point where it has been about, I think, maybe four years since I've been medicated nice. um, through a choice of my own. Um, and there's a lot going into that. The fact that it is unfortunately given our terrible uh, healthcare environment, really expensive to get the treatment that you need. And through being able to identify my particular issues well enough to notice them when they're coming up, feeling comfortable to take myself off of that. This is with every grain of salt, not something that I can you know, recommend by blanket that anybody take themselves off of their meds. But uh, it, it has worked for me, at least for the time being, knock on wood. What made you want to go off of them? Uh, it was almost accidental. I ran out and I think I didn't get my meds refilled for about a month or two. And I was like, I feel pretty much the same, you know, and I, I, I decided, all right, I'm going to let this coast for a little bit. I'm going to see how this goes. And it was at a time in my life where, you know, I had met my wife, uh, my now wife. I had kind of some job security. I had a, a good kind of stable life uh, to the point where I felt okay doing that. You know, there wasn't anything that was going to jump out of nowhere and, and, and you know, tackle me and upend everything that I'd, I'd come to work on. So I just kind of let myself go quietly. If I had to do it again, I would tell somebody, hey, I'm going to try this out without meds for a little bit because I think that's probably the, the healthier way to do it. Um, but past that point, you know, I've, I've gotten to the point where now I have pretty much two times a year a spell and I can tell that it's coming and I've got usually about a week notice or so on it and I can just kind of batten down the hatches and get through um, yeah. and then come out the other side okay. Not everybody with my condition, uh, which is a condition that is on a massive spectrum, everybody who is bipolar experiences it very, very differently. Um, not everybody can do that. Um, and I credit just the fact that I've been able to contend with my beast as long as I have as a big part of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I feel pretty lucky in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that you have the support system, yeah. like Megan is probably just awesome, just cause she's awesome in general yeah. Yeah. that she's probably really good. At I didn't marry no trash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's probably good at keeping you grounded. Is it like man spells of mania that you get? My um, mostly it's spells of depression. When I get the like two a year, it'll be like a, a period of intense, like inward self hate. Yeah. Um, and and la laziness is a bad word for it, but just kind of the inability to get up and do the things that I am not required to do. Yeah. Um, and that'll that'll pass um, for a bit. It was really self-destructive anger at my, you know, that was inward for the most part uh, when I was younger, outward when I was much younger. Um, and 
I can if I can see it coming, I can kind of kind of quarantine myself long mm-hmm. enough for it. Um, my mania used to manifest in kind of codependent and addictive behaviors, um, especially toward alcohol. But I think lately I've, I've self-medicated in a different way, which is I've allowed my mania to become um, a, a collector mania hmm. where like I just have dumb hobbies. Like I've got a lot of different things that I want to collect. And at the most it's going to mean like, okay, here's like 20 to 30 bucks that I didn't need to spend on something that I'm going to spend on something, you know, whether that be like a vinyl record or a Warhammer figure or something that just is that little dopamine hit that makes yeah. me feel a little bit better and then I can just kind of like shelve it and I'm done. Um, you know, rarely does it get to the point where like it's a full-blown mania that I can't stop, but that has been, you know, a, a mania that I'm happier to have than than any of the other ones that I'd had previously. Yeah, like where you don't you don't sleep for a few days yes, and stuff yeah, like that. They yeah. can be really bad. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and I think that's the part too that is the part of the bipolar equation that is a lot harder for people to see and is a lot harder for people who have bipolar disorder to see too. The mania sneak up on you. Um, at least I've found, and I, I, I'm again, blessed to be in a position where I kind of knew what it was early. Um, my grandmother on my dad's side, you know, where a lot of this comes from is extremely manic to the point where given the time, you know, she had to deal with things like, uh, you know, electroshock therapy, things that have been long, you know, disabused from the, the, uh, psychiatric profession, but because of mania, because of kind of spells that she would get in where it was just like an unstoppable social need to to be out there to do things and i've never seen that because i've been a, a huge introvert but understanding because my dad has the same condition and has it more along the lines of what i contend with um seeing his his mania manifest in different you know not manic ways really um let me know that okay some of the things that i'm experiencing aren't necessarily what everybody does they might be a mania um and like any you know anybody who deals with this you kind of learn more about it each time something goes wrong um you kind of put names to things even if you're not giving it an outward name you're knowing like okay i've had this particular branch of this before i've had this this moment this spell and i can kind of remember how i wrestled through that and maybe prepare a little bit better for it just keeps you on your toes that's so lucky that you that you had that diagnosis so early yeah because i mean i'm still i just did psych assessments for the first time like a couple months ago and finally were, were was able to put to bed some misdiagnoses i'd gotten yeah. one of which was bipolar um and it was just kind of crazy making to you know do <gasps> have so much therapy and try so many different medications but still not have a clear sense of what was going on with me mm-hmm. um was scary Um, But I still like I learned a lot about bipolar through the process and have friends who have bipolar and um, I I can relate to a lot of those feelings because I think that my depression kind of and anxiety can materialize in similar ways. It's one of the unfortunate bits of bipolar disorder kind of being the 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 coke of mental illness issues is that like that's kind of the, the baseline. That's where mental health practitioners tend to go first and I don't blame them because like it, I, I guess numerically is like affects the most people, but it's also like in itself is such a broad diagnosis. Like to say that one is bipolar is not really saying anything. Like my version of this is drastically different from the other people in my family 
uh, who, you know, I still recognize parts of my, my struggle in theirs, but they, you might as well, like on any other, you know, DSM, whatever, it feels like an entirely different diagnosis, what you're going through. And I think that's something to come to when you do get diagnosis, your diagnosis does not define you. You are not bipolar. You are Dylan Holland bipolar. You are this particular version of it. And mm -hmm. so the only person who can really become an expert on it is you. And that's where therapy is so helpful. Therapy is not about putting it into a box. It's about helping you develop the tools to confront your particular issues. Yeah. And I think diagnoses help a lot with that. Oh, yeah. Are you diagnosed bipolar, Emery? I, was, I know you were in the mis, past. I was misdiagnosed bipolar, yeah. And I was on, you mentioned lithium. I took lithium as well. Uh, that was when I lived in Mississippi. And yeah, I was diagnosed with bipolar. And then I came to Louisville, they're like, no. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that did happen. That was for, you know, a year I was taking that medication. But yeah, and it, it's, as Dylan said, it's just very, very broad. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, they, once I was reevaluated here in Louisville, it was like, no, I, I think it's, I think it's just you're just a real saddie just a <laughs> well i think my the um the mood stabilizers i noticed and i don't know if you had this either of you had this experience um and i didn't take anything like lithium i remember she when she tried to prescribe me lithium that's where i was like i'm switching doctors because mm -hmm. yeah i really these hated mood lithium. stabilizers have not been doing all they did for me and this might have been because i don't have bipolar um, but they actually took away all of my good moods mm -hmm. and they made the bad ones just as bad. Yeah. So I was like, what is this doing for me? Like, it's clearly stopping mania for people that dangerous, like have dangerously like long spells of mania right. or something. But for me, I don't want my good moods to go away. Like those are the things that keep me going. Yeah. So it was, I, yeah, I never really understood that, but I, I'm sure for people who mania like influences their life a lot in negative ways it makes sense yeah and I've, i found that to be the case uh with mine too and again I, I can't speak for everybody like if your particular version of bipolar is one that is really helped by kind of narrowing that scope then god more power to you please use anything that that helps you right that that truly gets you through it for what i found though is that because my manias were not so high they were just like my good days and so my good days became just kind of like this this haze like this middling haze, which, yeah, I didn't get quite as many spells of full-blown self-hatred and depression, but I also just was stuck in this weird little middle zone. And yeah. once I've been able to recontextualize some of my mania or to see some of this stuff happening, it's been nice to experience those highs and lows that everybody does. And just to, to know that mine sometimes are a little bit higher or a little bit lower than, than, than others get. Yeah. Wow. There, and so, <clears throat> switching gears a little bit, I know that at the beginning of the show, I introduced you as a former teacher. Yeah. And that's one thing that, you know, I invited you on the show because I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit because you had recently posted on Facebook and I appreciated any, any post on Facebook that's very open and vulnerable. I always appreciate. And you had talked about having a career transition. You had jumped into teaching and jumped out of teaching and now you've jumped out of teaching again. And I yeah. just wanted to, if you could elaborate more on that. Yeah, it's been a, a wild couple of years uh, for my professional life. I, you know, teaching also ran in the family in the same way that mental illness does. And I think that it also runs in teachers in a lot of ways because I, I think one of the nice benefits of being mentally ill is that it encourages you to be more empathetic. Um, it kind of demands it from you because you've dealt with so much that is difficult. You understand that other people are going to go through that as well. 
I also think, and I'll get to this point, that that's also one of the most damaging things about associating empathy as being such a major driver for teachers is that it can really, really easily spin out into martyr syndrome. And I think that it's encouraged to do so um, lately, especially. Um, but I you know, taught for years, uh, I think total I have taught for eight and a half uh, years in various places, mostly at the middle school level, um, which was a, a thing that I, I really loved and am still very good at. Um, but I needed a transition because I felt that I was getting into a rut and a big part of one of my kind of red flags, my triggers is getting into a rut, is getting into a position where things feel really easy, um, which sounds paradoxical. You'd want them, right? You would want things to be simple, but I find that that's easily a way for me to lose track of time, to lose track of myself and my own mental energy and well-being, and to suddenly find myself in the midst of a spell and be like, oh God, where do I go from here? Um, and I found that happening a bit more as I got better at the career. And I, as I took a, a look inward, I found that a lot of that was because I think teaching um, brings people who struggle with this sort of thing, people who are empathetic into the fold out of that desire to help because we really want to. We see these kids, for me especially, I saw kids at the same age I was diagnosed and I wanted to help them through those moments, you know, whether those were just moments of teaching them about ancient history or, you know, as I had a couple of times, like kids with suicidal tendencies or kids who are going through a lot of difficult stuff at home. And it was important work. I don't want to minimize that for any teachers out there. Um, but I think that we tend to, teachers and society at large tend to really laud the teachers who just fully sacrifice their body for the play. And I think that's incredibly damaging. Um, yeah. The fact that, you know, you be damned, your mental health be damned, as long as the kid comes out of it okay, you've done your job. And you know what? If you didn't give 110%, you haven't done your full job. And the more I looked at that mentality, the more I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're paying me, you know, less than 40000 a year to throw my life into other people's lives and to try and make things better for a future that just increasingly is getting worse. You know, widespread is getting difficult for everybody. And for these kids who I want to help, I want to make positive thinkers, I want to make optimists, for them to be able to look outside and to see things like what happened last week with, you know, full-blown domestic terrorism attempting to overthrow the U.S. and having to recontextualize that as, oh, but don't worry, we'll be okay. Got to the point where I was like, you know, we might not. And the amount of energy that it takes for me to put on that face for these kids to lie to them in a lot of cases and to tell them every day I'm okay when I'm not got to be too much for me. Yeah. So I pulled myself out of it. I took a break um, <clears throat> about a year and a half, two years now ago. I took a break. Uh, I went into the IT field and did some of that. I found in doing that that I was in a better spot for myself, but I was really missing a lot of that drive that does bring people into teaching. I was missing that, that give and take that back and forth and the room to really have one thing that I really love about teaching is that it, it's got baked in a lot of time for you to have self-reflection, right? To say, did this work? If not go back to it, what can I do better? That time is not paid for though usually. <laughs> and it's yeah. often something that you do on your own. You're encouraged to, you know, give up your nights, your weekends to do that, to be better. Um, 
and sure you've got the summer to reset, but I found the summer was often becoming too just like kind of a one of those those ruts. You know, it was like a time where like what else do I have to do? I just get up in the morning and I read a book maybe, and then I go to bed. Yeah, sure, you could lesson plan throughout the summer, like because it will take up as much time as you need it right. to. But once you've been teaching a couple years. You're preparing like two weeks before class starts. And you can't prepare much further in advance because, you know, you're going to, especially in what I was teaching, which is history, you've got, you know, a full-blown insurrection happening at the Capitol. And so you're like, oh, okay, less than 24 hours. How do I turn this around and do a lesson plan? Why is that my responsibility? Yeah. And I, I say that not only as a teacher, but also just like as a person who has interactions with other people. Why is that my responsibility? It's too much for one person to carry on their shoulders and for me personally, it was becoming detrimental to my enjoyment of life. So I looked elsewhere. I turned back to it recently. Um, about five months ago, I went back into teaching briefly. I had an opportunity to take a job teaching with my dad, which was you know, a dream come true, uh, one of my big inspirations. And I found that as I went back, a lot of what I had romanticized about teaching as I was away from it uh, was still there in some ways. You know, You get those teachable moments, you get those aha moments with kids. Um, you have generally a, a people that you work with are really empathetic or are really, you know, kind of pointing in the same direction. But I also found that in 2020, um, things had gotten only worse in terms of the amount of sacrifice required for teachers to the point where literally they were being asked to lay their lives on the line for quote unquote, the economy. Yeah. And, you know, I looked at this, I was like, I, I've got a, you know, maybe kids who are potential school shooter risks and I don't have locks on my door. You know, I've got a widespread pandemic that I'm telling these kids over and over is real. Yes, despite what your parents may be telling you, this is real. This is happening. Please put your mask up. I cannot teach you to be empathetic, although I may try. And every day having to reinforce that over and over and still being asked, hey, you're not doing enough. Hey, go in there, even though we haven't vaccinated you yet. Go into the absolute hotbed of disease and we'll hope something good happens because we didn't spend any time thinking about what would happen. Got to be too much. And I, I you know, I, I thought for my own mental well-being and I had to think selfishly for a bit there. I need to pull back out. You know, I this is not the kind of full body, full body play that I'm comfortable making. And I one of the things that I missed most about being in the standard business world is being appreciated for my efforts because yeah. I got into this headspace with teaching where it was never enough. You know, I could put together the best damn lesson plan you had ever seen, you know, have just these, these wonderful light bulb moments with these kids, go home, plan something else, come back in the next day. And it wasn't quite as good. And that just caused me to tear myself down Yeah, over and over and over. And to be told, over and over and over by those who were responsible for my paychecks, you got to do more. Eventually got me to thinking, no, I don't. You know, it's if I can hit a, a level that I'm happy with and I can be compensated at a level that I'm happy with, why am I not doing that for myself? Yeah. So it involved taking a moment to be selfish. And I think 2020 has provided a moment for us to be selfish in a way that I think is actually positive and productive that people can look inward now can think hey my job can be done from home you know or hey what i'm actually putting through here when i don't have the distractions that i do at, at work here i'm getting more work done 
it's got people to reevaluate. I don't know whether that will be the case for the people who actually you know pay checks uh, for society at large. But I'm hoping that it is a moment for people to kind of look inward and be like, hmm, are we doing this right? And the you know socialist insurrectionist in me wants a much more widespread version of that to come about. But I, I don't know. <laughs> So we are actually, I'm so sad. We are running out of time. Um, Dylan, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I feel like you're, you've had so many like words of wisdom, like for me as someone who's taught before, um, but also just seeing like your experience of with medication and with not being on it. Um, I think it's just going to resonate for a lot of people. So thank you for sharing of that. Of course. I hope so. And it's one of the things that I just, I'm so glad this platform exists for is being able to be open about this. If we suffer in silence, we just suffer. And I think being able to even just get up here and just spit everything that's in my brain out is super helpful. Selfishly. I hope it's helpful for somebody else. Yeah. Um, well, let's do a quick round of gratitudes. Uh, Emery, you want to start? Sure. I, uh, I'm grateful for Floyd. I might have used mm-hmm. that before because I don't, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> so just consistently, Floyd is my cat. He is a little one-year-old that I adopted from the Kentucky Humane Society. Um, he's a black cat with a little bit of white fur on his belly, and I just—he has been such a wonderful addition to my house. I have my, my roommate as well, and we just—we absolutely adore him. I love when he follows me from room to room. I love his little. Pit pat patters on the on the floor. I love when he makes his biscuits or whatever that's oh, yeah. called. Or just, <laughs> the best. Uh, just just his little meows and his noises when he's just like you know when you're hanging out and he's just like cuddling right next to you. When I'm working and kind of stressed out, and I just get up. And I'm like, look at him. I'm just gonna go over and pet him. And he's just so fun, happy, and sweet. And it's just been such a nice addition to the house. Cool. What about you, Dylan? Uh, I'm grateful to my wife. Um, it is super nice to have a partner who gets it um, and to have a partner who, you know, has struggles of her own too. But I think both of us really have lately been brave. And I don't just say that to brag. I think every day there's little kind of like small braveries that you can, you can take. Um, we just got done taking our first look with a realtor at houses and it's scary. And I, you know, am concerned. I'm not going to find the house that we love. You know, we're not going to find it in the time that we want, but being able to jump out on a limb and, and, and take those, those little, little steps out is, uh, is, it's really lovely. So thank you, Megan. Um, that keeps me honest. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful for Seth. I'm also just in general, I'm really grateful for my support system and I may have used this in our last episode, but I don't think it's bad to be grateful mm-hmm. for the same thing again. Everybody has been so awesome with the fact that I'm quitting and just really encouraging. And I have people checking in on me and uh it just gives it gives this air of like nobility to the whole (laughs) the whole endeavor when it feels like everyone is like rooting you on so much because they know how hard it is well thank you so much again dylan it's been wonderful talking to you um we'll have to hang out sometime when both of our introversion is uh, turned off (laughs) for a few hours right is is tough yeah yeah finding that sweet spot (laughs) um well everybody Thanks for listening. Keep talking about your feelings. Bye. 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 Original theme music for Two Nuts in a Pod was composed by Neil Lucas. 